Welcome to episode number 18 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded March 27th, 2019. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show, based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, that's VE3 EPN, and a computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc., I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder has focused me on safety in all aspects of my life. I teach first aid, coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. I'm Eric Tu. Uh, we live on 100 acres in Zone 2 in uh, near Cochrane, Ontario. We garden extensively and heat with our two wood stoves. 10 years of prepping experience has gotten me through job slowdowns, help others, and has enabled me to meet, exchange caches, and form the beginning of a mag, and the prospect of growing the mag is alive and well. Hi there, my name is Ian. Greetings from an alternate secure location. I live on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. My professional background has taught me to adapt to unexpected situations and also reinforces my belief that learning never ends. Okay, so we've got some uh, mutually beneficial content for you in this episode. Every time. Every, every time. time. We're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness and the outdoors. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic for the episode, teaming up with others in a mutual assistance group, uh, what it is, how it may affect you, and what you can do to prepare for it. So we'll move into some news articles. Okay, so I got one from, uh, I, I hate to, to say the source, but Al Jazeera, and uh, they actually covered it the best. Uh, so once again, Venezuela has gone through a nationwide power outage, uh, second one in a month, and this one's into its second day now. And of course, they're blaming everybody but themselves, but... Uh, I think they're about another three meals away from more anarchy, so this should be interesting to watch. This is everyone's fault but mine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think, Eric, I th there's a couple in there for you as well. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Eric, oh, oh, Eric. Which, which Eric? Ah, <laughs> uh, dang it. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, that's going to be the way the show is going to go. Uh, so I've got, uh, there's only room for one, Eric. No, there's room for two. Um, so... Uh, nearly 100 dead after an uh, overloaded ferry sinks in Iraq's uh, Tigris River. So it's uh, just in regards to a ferry, obviously, that sank. Uh, something that you may not necessarily always be thinking about. You know, you want to go for a ferry ride, go into wherever it is you're going. You just want to pay attention to to the boat and, and ways to get off it as it, uh, they sink. Well, I think everybody's guilty of the fact that, you know, you go on like BC ferries, for example, on the West Coast here, like who really pays attention to the safety briefing, where the emergency exits are, where the lifeboats are, where the life jackets are. And before you know it, you know, you hit a big red klaxon siren and all of a sudden it's like, what do we do now? And that's usually yeah. what happens. That's assuming they have a safety briefing. You and find a door a and you climb on it. Yeah, exactly. It's always the assumption that it'll never happen to me, right? Well, and the thing is, if they're already overloaded, you guarantee you can't move that fast, and you, you probably can't get to the exit that everybody else is trying to scramble to. And yeah, it's, it's something to think about. It's just like the hotel room. Be aware, right? I was just going to say, it comes back to the hotel and just walking around and, and checking things out and, and maybe looking for that not-so-obvious exit point uh, where everybody else is going to be heading towards the big flashy exit sign. Uh, maybe plot out a few others that aren't so obvious. 
and to me, it's a uh, don't pick the worst uh, storm of the year to go out on a boat. You know. That leads us to Eric's next article, I think. Uh, yeah, so which one we got there? Uh, you know what? I didn't even load that one up, to be honest with you. Oh, I can cover it off there. So it's a uh, the Norwegian cruise ship got uh, stuck in the worst storm of the year. <laughs> and, <laughs> and lo and behold, they have to get evacuated. So, of course, they had engine trouble because, of course, the engine room got swamped and, and uh, you know, hilarity ensued. And so now, one by one, they're having to pluck people off this cruise ship during the worst storm of the year. Um, so, again, you know, if you're on a, whether it be a large ski hill, large boat, whatever have you, you're not as safe as you think you are. So I think uh, always pay attention to whether or not it's a good idea to even go on the trip, let alone you know, where the exits are and everything else. Yeah, that was eight meter waves, which is, you know, the average two-story house. Uh, they were less than a kilometer offshore and still had to be evacuated by helicopter. There were yeah. a few injuries in that that I was reading about. Fortunately, nobody, nothing, nothing too serious, but it was, uh, it was not a, not a pretty sight. I'm sure there was a very orderly lineup to get on the helicopter. Yes, oh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it was. <laughs> There's no pushing and shoving involved whatsoever. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I put up an article that I found interesting. I found that it was actually just published uh, last week. It was uh, from the BBC, um, an article related to food security, and it referenced the, um, the siege of Sarajevo during the Bosnian-Serbian War. And uh, it's more commentary, I suppose, about how badly how bad things got in that city very quickly. Um, and it was, uh, as we said, three meals from anarchy. Um, and then it was three meals from anarchy. And then another six months of trying to get, um, trying to get food, food back into the people. But there were some 11,000 people that died of uh, starvation and freezing because they didn't have the resources to keep themselves alive. Well, I mean, yeah, that used to be the showcase city back in the 70s for the Olympics, right? And uh, yep. so they're trying to show how awesome the Eastern Bloc was. And so it was a, it was a really well, well put together city at the time. And, uh, you know, communism fell apart. Things got heated between racial and religious sex. And before you know it, yeah, it's like uh, it doesn't take much before the whole city's cordoned off and they, they're scrapped yep. for what's left on the inside. Exactly. Uh, cool. So I, I have a couple. Uh so the main one I wanted to to get off was uh, gas is going up five cents a liter next week, pretty much everywhere because of uh, our uh, lovely government. Thanks, Trudeau. Hey, welcome to our Thank world. You, We've had that for years. <laughs> and uh, nothing like uh, nothing like uh, BC, but uh, Ontario and and uh, Quebec has uh, risen like nuts to the point where Southern Ontario is almost the same as Northern Ontario and Northern Quebec. So it's like it's 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 getting pretty pretty intense. It's gone up on average fifteen cents a liter in the last two weeks. That sucks. And the thing is, it's not particularly going to you know convince people to not drive cars. I mean, they still need to get around. I mean, that's probably we don't have the infrastructure or the transportation backups in place to actually ensure that you drive less. That's the whole point. We're, it's it's not a it's not an incentive. It's a money maker. Yeah, but that's for a different podcast. Maybe that's for my other podcast. There you go. Yeah. So what you I know was what really thinking, grinds my gears. Oh, here we go. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Oh, well. Anywho, yeah. So, so so what I was thinking was uh, now might be a good time to get your uh, gas storage up and going. Before before the prices go up, 
because you're going to need the gas anyways, and you're not going to stop using gas. So you might as well get it now while it's on sale. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of that myself. I filled up uh, two canisters before I got home. (laughs) What was that? Uh, So, yeah. Uh, One of the first ones. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So there you go. Go back to the previous maybe episode six or seven, and I think we could talk about getting the uh, the podcast challenge of getting your gas jerry cans filled up. Yep, yep. And working on rotating it too. Yeah. Yeah. I saw. I so, forget uh, what I saw it on Instagram. Maybe there was a, a really cool system that this particular person had where he had twelve jerry cans, and he had them all labeled per month, and that was his routine. Was every month he emptied each each gas can, like each can was one tank essentially, and so he emptied that tank into his into his vehicle once a month. So he was rotating his gas every year. Ah. Nothing. Nothing was more than a year old. I saw that somewhere. Anyways, pass that on. Good to know. Yeah, that's the. Uh... That, it sounds like the Jack Spirko uh, uh, thought process. He had, yeah, that he had some, yeah. So uh, I had another one. It was uh, from from the White House. There, Executive Order Coordinating National Re- Resilience. So it's for the uh, electromagnetic pulse, and it's a pretty interesting uh, article on uh, on uh, how they how they want to get ready and what their weaknesses are and how to work on it. Yeah, I was reading, I was reading through the actual, the actual order yesterday, earlier today, I don't know, at some point. And uh, it is, it is really interesting to see how they're, how they're approaching it and kind of why, but um, it's, I think it's a bigger, it's a bigger um, threat than what they, than what we were originally believed. Well, and I think it's just nice to actually see somebody with some clout that actually wants to take it on and make it a, I guess, a public or a, a more awareness to the emergency, at least, or potential emergency. So it's actually nice to see it becoming more mainstream, not just the uh, the domain of these these paranoid prepper types. You know what I mean? Hey, you're so. only paranoid till you're right. That's right. Can I can I wear my tinfoil hat now? You missed that episode. I had a tinfoil hat on. That was Ian's fault. <laughs> so lame. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's move into what we've done lately for our preps. So uh, for me, I uh, rinsed and rotated my long-term water stocks. We're well on our way. Uh, we're, we're on a well, so we refilled the containers, and we have double that in the basement for long-term usage. Uh, emergencies are, uh, are stressful times, and it's not time to be filtering water if possible. We have a Crown Berkey and filters for over a year if needed. We have a catadin uh, bladder filter and purification pills for the bladder because it only, it doesn't uh, filter out the uh, the viruses. You need you need the pill for that. We got uh, uh, backups for the cold weather gear like mitts, headlamps, and new rot and new uh, rated wool socks for the family. We got the gas. I said. And uh, the other thing that's a pretty cool is uh, our well is in our basement. So uh, I can actually just uh, pull up and down on the, uh, on the, uh, on the well pump and uh, water will actually uh, come out anyways. I oh, can actually manually oh. pump it. That is awesome. Nice. Especially because it's in the basement, it's less likely to freeze too, right? So, I yep. mean, that's, that's awesome. I'm actually quite and jealous of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. And if there's a... It's pretty cool, and if there's a major emergency, like you can do it from the safety of your basement, you're not doing it. Uh, 
outside. Well, yeah, and also means it can't be open or contaminated too. Yeah. It's less susceptible to breakage. No, that's yeah. I'm I'm adding that to my to my my dream home perhaps. Yeah, that also uh, makes it like stage proof too, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm watching Game of Thrones too much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for myself, I've uh, I've been avoiding paper cuts. Uh, I've been on training last uh, since the last episode for work, so it's been a lot of textbook uh, textbook stuff and just uh, staying awake, drinking lots of coffee, and, and trying not to get those paper cuts. While I've been uh, that's that's called sleep deprivation books. training. That's that's totally right. valid. Yes, yes. Okay, I'll, I'll take I'll take just it. As, uh, on it. Yeah. <laughs> sleep deprivation training. It is. That's what I've done. <laughs> Feeding the family comes first for sure. Right, no, no preps without money, so that, that's number one. Uh, so for myself, broken record alert. So I basically been tinkering around the farm. I am back to work tomorrow morning, but uh, so the quad or what we call the farm tractor, it uh, broke down, so that didn't help. Uh, slowed down all the work around the uh, farm quite a bit. So went to took that into the shop. Went back to more chainsawing in the interim because I had no uh, no farm tractor. So went to work back around the uh, the trees and the power lines again, and luckily the power lines are now tree free, which is the first time we've had that since we moved in about six years ago. So that's uh, one less thing to worry about. Um, of course, being me, I was up on a ladder and I managed to sustain a minor injury. I fell off the ladder with a running chainsaw. So please, <laughs> please go ahead. Yes. Uh, actually, all, all limbs are still attached. Yeah, I actually kind of funny because as I was falling off the ladder, I said, "How cliche." <laughs> so all I could do is throw the, the chainsaw as hard as I could away from me. Um, and it landed about five feet away, so that was fine. And basically all I ended up with a big, like uh, a large bruisey welt on my one hip and then uh, one on my front shin. And like I was covered in, Yeah, so I was, I was covering <laughs> in, uh, helmets and chap, safety chaps and all sorts of other things and elbow pads. So I was pretty fine otherwise. So, I mean, safety gear helped, but still hurt pride. Uh, I have a story to tell about that when we're off the air. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's so funny because it's just like, oh my God, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be that guy. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, so uh, anyway, uh, carrying on, I did uh, some LED light changeout still for the shop, uh, which is winter wear gear for a seasonal effective disorder during the winter. So they're super bright. Uh, kids got back from the 4-H survival camp I mentioned last week. We had a good discussion because uh, the first aid came in handy. Uh, my older one got a sprain on her ankle. The younger one had to treat it. Um, and then we also reached out to some new neighbors trying to form a neighborhood mag. We gave out some eggs of the communications link, and uh, which is just like a good drug dealer, the first one's always free. So we handed them some eggs and told them when to get a hold of us if they need more. Uh, yeah. So that's what it for me. I was going to say I've... about those uh, about those safety chaps. Yeah. Um, my buddy was actually doing a forestry course, and he had a pretty crazy teacher. He takes the chainsaw, starts it up. And he's like, oh, this is nice. And he takes them. He takes the running chainsaw and throws it on his pants. Oh. And the chainsaw is for me. <laughs> and he's like, this is why you need chainsaw pants. Well, <laughs> I mean, trust me, they have saved me not so much uh, from a severe injury, but just from an annoying injury more than once. But they... Um, yeah, they're meant to bind up the chainsaw chain if you happen to cut through the tree into your leg, which I knew I knew a guy that did it and lived, but it's not a funny thing when you, when you slice your femoral, order, femoral artery and it's, uh, it's it can get serious pretty fast. So safety yeah. chaps are a must if you're not a professional logger, and even if you are, you should probably wear them. But I mean, if uh, let's know exactly what you're doing, wear them. Even for it's just one, if it's just one for you, still wear them. If if the pros wear them, then you probably should too, because they're oh, less likely to hurt themselves than you are. Exactly. You know, honestly, like I, I live on a hundred acres 
and there's just no excuse. First of all, uh, they're just warm enough to keep you warm in the winter and uh, they don't dirty your pants and all that. So it's like, it's all perfect for that stuff. And on top of that, something happens, you still got to feed your family the next day. So you, exactly. you need your legs. Uh, so my week, uh, absolutely crazy between work and training. Um, part of what I've been learning about is actually the water supply systems for uh, the municipality where I live and, and the, the two or three around me, which um, had no idea about, um, nowhere near enough knowledge. Uh, it turns out each municipality has about a three-day supply in reserve if the supply line gets shut down. And... Um, the municipalities upon which I border, both of them are actually actually have mutual aid. So if their individual supplies get shut down, they can still route through the other without um, without losing too much pressure. Uh, of course, the the reserve assumes there are no major fires or anything that draws a ton of water. But uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting that um, between the between the water towers and the underground tanks, um, there are about there's about a three day supply in reserve should the should the big line get shut down. I also finished rotating all my uh, all my car kit, and my EDC, my, my pocket kits uh, out to the summer stock, which is uh, so much lighter and easier to carry around with me. Um, working on some rentals around the house um, with the ultimate goal that it's going to give me storage in the basement or food and water. Um, still in the gym every morning, added some high-intensity interval training to my workout program, so building on that podcast challenge from two or three episodes ago. Um 45 seconds up and 60 seconds down to recover do that for 20 minutes and you've gone 15 or 20 clicks on your bike and it's uh it's it's a lot it's a lot of work so that's uh my 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 latest my latest addition in in, in uh in the in the fitness challenge awesome kudos man let's uh, let's move into the main topic of the show being a mutual assistance groups all right, I suppose we should start off with a definition of what a man is for the for the new prepper types, also just to kind of lay out some ground rules, I guess. But uh, the best definition I can come up with, you guys can correct me on this one if you want, but it's a uh, mutual assistance group is a group of like-minded individuals who pledge to assist each other in times of crisis with the common goal of security and survival. Sound fair? Sounds fair to me. I accept yeah. that. All right, so in uh, previous generations, I guess it was the norm. Uh, basically it consists of your immediate neighbors usually if you're on the uh the remote farm or you know i guess isolated towns or whatever have you uh i think that things have certainly changed since then uh well you, you know, can you can see it if you drive out in the country where you'll have um you know you'll have farms for farms for four miles and then you'll see four houses right together and then you'll see farms for you know nothing, nothing but for the next couple of miles and then four houses right together so it, it's a it's it's natural that that's what happened right we're we're pack animals by definition well for sure even if it's just like family you know members of the same family but they all cluster together in the, and then put a little ring of trees around the four houses and everything else that's what they did on the prairies a lot to keep the wind down <laughs> and uh i mean but you know you compare nowadays so back when i lived in on southern ontario and this is not a southern ontario knock but um uh, you know we had neighbors that literally we were three or four do doors down from us and we had no idea what their name was um you know but you get to a more isolated spot and you meet somebody and in five minutes you got their life story and um so it's a bit i guess location dependent where you are right now whether it be you know northern ontario uh you know the prairies whatever have you it, it, as far as how easy a mag can be to get um like i, I mentioned here in the notes, show notes you can always buy short-term mags if you have like caa and you get a tow truck driver to show up on command but 
urban uh, urban fix right there if you want to just uh, buy a friend you can do that but um i guess the problem is with both of us most of us now is that we have that natural conflict with you know the paranoid gray man personality prepper type versus you have to try and finally reach out and establish trust and kind of put yourself out there it's it's a difficult thing to do with with our I guess our common mindset when you first start out prepping right yeah for real well i think the for me the biggest thing with that with any kind of mag is that it's it's important to make sure that everyone in the group can hold up their own can hold their own um for everything right um and be mutually beneficial if um you know it it work it only works if everybody's kind of cross trained on every aspect uh, i'm a big fan of the of the whole um committee concept where you would have as people arrive they become part of the the food committee the water committee the medical committee um so that as people show up they just kind of know what to do um and then as as all those committee slots get filled then more people show up and they just jump into whatever role is need, needs to be done that only works of course if everybody knows what to do so if if you're not if if you show up and your whole thing is i'm the i'm the hunter and all i know how to do is hunt that's cool well, we have 6 months worth of food but what we really need right now is water then you're really not you're really not beneficial to the group at this exact moment so um making sure that everybody's everybody's cross-trained everybody knows that just because your your particular passion might be you know fixing helicopters if fixing helicopters is not what we need right now you've got to have something else to fall back on to be part of the part of the team and be and be moving in the right direction yeah for sure At the very least, we need a drone mechanic at some point. You probably want to have a drone to do like surveillance of your property and stuff. And if you have the need for a helicopter mechanic, that means you have a helicopter, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have a helicopter, helicopter pilot than a helicopter mechanic, I guess. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> so for me, uh, a mutual. Yeah, uh, for me, a mutual. A mutual aid group to me is just that families aren't what they used to be and it's not common practice to store nine months of food and save every penny like it was your last like it was in the olden days uh, never incurring debt besides housing uh, there was no social net and everyone with land didn't suffer as nearly as much as in the Great Depression mags are more important than ever uh, in a in a true uh, Tedawaki situation uh, the end of the world as we know it, for the people who didn't know, is uh, even even the slow eroding of our purchasing power like we're living now, a mag ensures a future and safety for your family. Yeah, I think, uh, like you mentioned there about the uh, no social safety net, I mean, I don't think... I don't want to get into the other podcast, but <laughs> I can say like I don't think that like, yeah, social safety nets nowadays have really encouraged people to remain self-sufficient. As a matter of fact, I think they've encouraged people to remain, you know, uh, dependent on the state, and it kind of breeds almost the the self-reliance aspect out of most people. Unfortunately, it's it's a sad byproduct of what was supposed to be a good thing and and you know something that's supposed to help everybody, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's. It is a sad state of affairs that we don't have the um, 
we don't have the drive to be self-sufficient. Um, but at the same time, it's also nice that we don't necessarily need to be self-sufficient every minute of the day. Oh, modern conveniences are great. So there's a there's a there's a, a cost benefit there, and I suppose it depends on who you ask as to whether or not it's a benefit. <laughs> I can see Ian's, I can see Ian's head exploding at that comment. Yeah, I'm being quiet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, before we get into uh, Mad Max scenarios, um, what I mean by that is that uh, when uh, when a people think of mags they're always thinking of uh, the road or the books uh, one second after or the patriot and uh, it's not just about that even if nothing ever happens mutual aid groups are a very good thing and uh, so prepping is about thriving and living life to the fullest now and if an emergency happens then it happens you're ready but you're living life to the fullest. Preppers don't want to just get through an emergency. They want to thrive. They want to be well off. They don't want their families to suffer. Uh, my wife isn't drinking out of a water out of a radiator or the hot water tank or the toilet. She wants nothing to do with that. So I make sure that that isn't going to happen. Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. You got it. Yeah. I'm still trying to get over the well, having the well in the basement. That's so awesome. <laughs> I know, like, it's kind of funny how that happened is uh, it was like a, a horse carriage road, right? So when they made to make the road wider, they moved the house onto the well. That's such a great idea. I'm, I'm 100% into that. I, I think that's that just makes so much sense. It's pretty smart. Anyways, I, I like it. Uh, it's, it's such a great idea. Um, sorry, following through on the show notes. Um, you're, I, I think that's that's absolutely right. I mean, the many hands make light make light work. I guess is the the big the big thing about these about about a, an assistance group is that um, it's great for me to have you know six month supplies for myself, but um, it's easier for us to have for me to have. Um, six month supplies and you to have six month supplies and then together we can combine that for, um, for six months and have the ability to generate more while we're while we're in an emergency because um, it's just i mean it, it's great to think that we can live on our own and just wait it out but it's easier with a friend oh and not just one friend I hope yep. you have many families and many people to help out, you know, and that you, and that you don't just have kids, you raise them so that they know how to cook, they know how to clean, they know how to help you out. So they're ready in life. But if something like that would ever to come around, they're going to be ready to help you and they're going to be able to, to do their part too. Well, and yeah, having having the skills to do it is is important, but also having the mindset that um, if if things don't go to plan, how do I react to it? And I mean that yeah. you know that, that we can we can start that planning here in our mutual assistance group, and that just applies to everything. 
um, you know that when it comes out to when it comes to your kids, for example, like, that's, that makes a really good point, Eric. That um, when it comes to your kids, if you teach them to, if you teach them that, you know, things aren't always going to go the way you expect them to. What's your plan if it, What's your plan if it doesn't go well? Um, when it comes time for them to go out and be be adults on their own and get into the workplace, if they don't just have to. If they have the ability to adapt to a changing situation, they're going to be a much, they're going to be much more valuable to their employer. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, uh, the fact is, is there's there's a lot of max chance of having a true nationwide Tetawaki. Um, you're much more likely to lose your job, get sick. Uh, even like a small natural disaster, have the roof blow off your house. But a real like uh, cats and dogs start falling from the sky situation is uh, it's very rare. But you have to realize like in the olden days, um, people used to get together and uh, somebody needed a barn. Everybody from the church got together. They raised the barn in my area. There hasn't been a new barn ever since the churches stopped getting together to do that. That's interesting. People can't do it. No, I remember hearing about that uh, in rural Saskatchewan. Where my mother was raised, uh, same thing. They'd have like a barn raising, you know, same thing. They'd have the, the basically the ninety percent of it up in a day, and then big party afterwards. And then then it was up to the individual farmer to just do the the final finish work the way he wanted it. But you know, to get all the big beams and the four walls on, it was it was huge, right? Yeah, you get it, it, it yeah, still it still happens around here. Um, where we have a lot of uh, we have a fairly heavy Mennonite population, uh, kind of the east and south of us, and that's exactly what happens. You'll see, uh, you'll drive by, and there will be you know forty or fifty people, uh, forty or fifty people working on a building, and because that's who they are as a society, you've got you know thirty got thirty men working on working with working with the tools, and you've got twenty or thirty women feeding and feeding and watering them while they're while they're doing it and it's as much a social event as it as it is a as it is a work event and you know whether or not you, well, we want to admit it or not they're probably more uh, resilient in case of a major emergency than the average population too right absolutely i don't think that i don't think there's any there's any question of that i mean first off they're they're the level of effect that a, that a, a major disaster would have on them is significantly less because of the, the life they choose to live every day and then you take into account that they already have the strongest community anywhere in north america i would argue and that and their level of their natural level of preparation i don't think there's any question that they're they're better prepared by default than we are Ooh, yeah, careful, you make, be careful! You're making a strong case for tribalism. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think we got to this point in the society? It started out as tribalism. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. And anywho, I'm jealous. Honestly, it's uh, the whole point is that we see that we're weak in that in the in the community setting, and I think that's what sets off a lot of preppers to say. Listen, I don't have backups. I need backups. So then that's when you start preparing. You start getting the water together. You start because you can't just call uh, your neighbor and get that water like in the old days. He brings his horse over, it'll get you there 100% of the time. Get your water and leave, you know? Yep. So, like, um, that's it. A prepper wants to be ready for, for everything. And, uh, 
being ready for Tedawaki is the ultimate goal for most preppers, which is why preppers talk about it so much. The only way to even hope of being ready for Tedawaki is being part of a mag. You can't do it alone. And I mean, some people are very, very close. Like I know a guy and uh, no joke, like he's, a, he's as close as, as you're, as you, as you're, as you're going to get. But if he gets sick, everything goes away it's a one guy based system yeah well that's you know that's something where you know a broken ankle or a bad cold can can ruin that ruin those plans yeah pretty hard to keep uh you know a watch for guard duty if you're like running a severe fever right yep also you know the whole point where you need to sleep and you can't you can't be up 24 hours a day seven days a week unless you're eric apparently in which case you just drink a lot of coffee (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but eventually the coffee runs out. Yeah. That's my main fear, honestly. It's like, listen, who's gonna run who's gonna run defensive security? Houses are not made to be defended. And uh, even if you have like a mile of open space in in each in each direction, uh people are gonna get through. So it's like you you honestly need three shifts and you need people running the inside and at the ready you know so it's like it's very very intense and if you and if you want to be ready for for anything you need a mag you need differing skill sets uh and you have to want it very very badly <laughs> i mean i've been doing this for 10 years and uh i got one mag member and I have two possible other ones, so it's intense. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I I, I basically had to stumble across uh, one of my primary mag guys, and we're just kind of getting started because uh, just having we worked together at the same company like twenty years ago. But that I was having a real tough time finding a local guy that uh, you know would be good mag material. I've got another one that's that's over in Calgary but that doesn't do me a whole lot of good because he's you know fourteen hours away by vehicle or couple hours by airplane so it still doesn't do me a whole lot of good so it's uh it's very tough to find compatible and local mag members absolutely and i think that's another really important point is if if you don't get along then you you just can't because theoretically you're going to be spending a lot of time in very close quarters with each other and um if you don't get along really well then that uh that becomes a real challenge real fast well, yeah, you're gonna be like sharing accommodations more than likely, and uh, to conserve heat resources and and security purposes. So, yeah, you better hope you get along with them on on regular times. Yeah, yeah. If you're not getting along in the best of times. At the worst of times, you're really not gonna get along. Yeah, yeah exactly. all they're gonna discover is two people with their hands around each other's throat. That's what. I mean, you get real, real good at fist to fist combat. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, sir, it seems, they seem to have beaten each other to death. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what happened. Uh, so you guys would think that that would be the main thing. But honestly, for me, the main thing is uh, dedication. Like uh, most people are just not dedicated enough to be a, to be, to be a prepper. Like they're not ready themselves. And it's like taking on another, I, they say they're preppers, but they're not ready. They can't hold themselves for like two, three months. So it's like, if you come to my house, then I'm going to have to make you 
I'm going to have to, to like sustain you the whole time. Plus my family. And that's the whole point of a mag is to bring in ready people with supplies beforehand. Cause there's no way you're going down highway, highway 400 highway 11, 10 hours to my house. And you're going to make it uh, with all your gear and all your stuff. No, definitely not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that's the that's the the mutual the mutual assistance part is that um, you know if uh, you know if, if things really do go badly and people start showing up at my house, my three my three months better not turn into two months because it, it better turn into four months as soon as they show up. Yeah, so you build a resentment immediately if that's the case, right? If all of a sudden your six month supply is now a three month supply, immediately you're going to be on edge. Yeah, well, and, then the, uh, that's just a non-start, right? If if you don't have that, then you don't actually have a mutual assistant. You have a mooch. Yeah, but I or mean, like way. that might. Right the here. problem is, if it's not there beforehand, I can almost guarantee that that's going to happen. And think of this: uh, there's uh, two months of food. You're uh, for uh, six people, and you're ten people. So you're like pretty good in math. You're calculating. And you're like, if we get rid of the host family, then we can make it for four months. So it creates like, nobody's going to let their family starve. And the whole reason of being a prepper is to make sure that you don't have to do things you don't want to do. Absolutely. And it's just, I can't stress that enough that if you're not, if you're not bringing, if you're planning on bugging out, like I have a cash at my buddy's house, my buddy has a cache at my house and we can get along for like two weeks just fine. And I have gas at his house to get to my house. I'm not stealing his gas. That makes, that makes really good sense. It seems like the, the perfect way to do it. Actually, you, uh, you brought up a good point, Eric, about uh, meeting new mag members too, like having a backup and stuff. Oh, it's just like multiple, uh, multiple uh, BOLs or there's a lot of advantages to it. I'll, I'll get into it later, but it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not just for when things get bad. And uh, why not have a fishing buddy that that's also got your back, you know? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So it's cool, you know? And for those not so, familiar, uh, BOL would stand for bug out location? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, a bug out location, um, it can it can be the hotel, really. Like you having the numbers in your cell phone, all the, already set up, and uh, or hotels.com and order order in before somebody else actually gets a chance to get in. But uh, in case that that's all down, that's when the mags come in. Like, and you have to realize, like maybe the bug out location is on the side of Highway 400. And it's and it's the pine tree a uh, hundred feet from the road because there's a cache there and you can resupply and keep on going. Yeah, good point. So it's it, not it, like it, a physical it, building. It can be as simple as a pine tree, a, a known location to you and the rest of the mag members, but not necessarily like the like a, a home or an office building or a ho or a hotel or it can, it can be those, but it could be something as simple as just a tree on the side of the road. Yeah, like uh, my. My ultimate fear is uh, for 
for anybody in the uh, Toronto area, let's say, because that's the area that I know best, is uh, there's a, a choke point around Barry. And uh, everybody knows, like, uh, on, on one of your past shows, Highway 400 was closed. And if Highway 400 is closed, then the side roads uh, fill up fast and they get blocked. And there's a part that there's only one, there's only one or two roads through. Oh, I remember I experienced that myself too, where like Highway 400, Highway 27, number five side road, and I think a third one actually had all accidents on them. So they're all blocked off. I ended up having to go way west of town on a pre-arranged route that I'd figured out and go way west of, I guess it was Shelburne and that kind of that, that, that big arc all the way back to Barrie. It's a, it's a huge choke point because the lake cuts off most highway access to the east. And yep. uh, so if you have a bunch of people heading north, there's only one way to go through and that's pretty much Barrie. So that's a problem. You really can't get around that lake in any in any kind of reasonable time either. No, it's uh, there's, it's no, there's no direct route. Yeah, you know, there's always Tobermory, but if it's bad enough, Tobermory is going to be closed. Yep, true. Yeah, well, it's seasonal as well, isn't it? Like, uh, I was thinking for like as options, like uh, having uh, ten thousand dollars somewhere where you could get a plane or buy a boat. You know buy your way buy your way across or you need a, a mag member on the other side hopefully many and they come with their pickup truck and pick you and your family up like i don't know if you guys saw the movie the road i have four kids <laughs> could you imagine that guy the 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 cannibals but it could be anybody coming to steal your stuff right yeah and it's like you have your four kids, you have one on your head, uh, two in your arms, and your and your eldest is just trying to keep up. Well, you're going to last about three seconds before they catch up to you. Yep. So it's like, for me, it's, it's, it's not an option to, to bug out. So I, I live in the, it's for work is cool. Cause I actually get paid more up North than down South. That's pretty weird. But, uh, I'm in the safest location pretty much in Canada that you can grow food. Awesome. So you had a point farther there. north than me is the 49th parallel. So you had a point do you want to talk about with uh, ham radios at Eric? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, sorry, I'm just going to see where, where I was there. Uh, uh, yeah, so you mentioned uh, you've got enough for your family and uh, your Mag's family. Yeah, so that's it. So, uh, so the the whole point was that was I was I was doing I was like uh, uh, war rooming my buddy getting out of uh, getting out of uh, southern Ontario, and I was like, he had a few radios, but it wasn't enough. He needs to get in. He needs he needs to get in contact with his wife and his kid, and he needs. He needs that that way to communicate to be able to get out. So uh, I got him enough radios. I got enough extra radios if if there was going to be some more some more uh, members down the road. And I have enough and I have enough radios for my whole family too. And uh, I'll just let you guess where I got those from. <laughs> oh, oh wait, can I can I guess? My turn. My turn. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. What, was it was it rapidsurvival.com? And honestly, uh, what I liked about the rapid survival ones is uh, they had the higher wattage. They had the eight watts 
and also they had they had the bigger battery and uh i mean eric's my bbm buddy but he's not my best friend and i have no problem telling it and it's like uh there was and he pre-programs the radios to your location so i had my radios programmed to my location i had um his parents radio programmed to their location and i had his radios programmed with both and i know down the road if i want to add stuff and i need help all i have to do is give eric from rapid survival a call and it's going to be dealt with you know so you got it. i can't say enough good things it's just a quick question. I'm sorry to bump in here, but I just looking back at the show notes. So a couple things, a couple points you missed there before on your show notes that actually are really good points for new preppers. Uh, one of the appeals of a mag is like if you lose your job, maybe everybody on the mag can help you to be on the lookout for a possible job solution. And also, uh, like like happened to yourself, you were with a another as yet to be unspecified Eric, uh, and uh, we met up in Toronto uh, with uh, with Eric's my the two Eric's. And myself and uh, yeah, Eric had a buddy to back him up in case I turned out to be a complete wingnut. So it worked out well. Eric's a slowly taking over the world. Yeah. He yeah. Yeah. And he didn't pick up on the fact that I was a complete wingnut. So it was all good. <laughs> and what was the other thing that was cool about that is uh, we turned it into a win-win. Even if uh, Ian turned out to be a wacko, uh, our kids were having fun together. We had a great supper, did, did some shopping because uh we don't have a costco where we live and we actually bought a bought a, a computer on the way back up north from the used place in uh, orangeville so it's pretty cool you know it turned out to be a great trip and uh it was it was 10 hours 10 hours there 10 hours back but i mean i do an i do an hour, an, an hour and a half as it is one one way uh, pretty much every day so just make it happen and you have to fight for it if you don't fight for it and you, you have to give a lot. Like if the first thing I did was uh, when the cash thing came along, right. It's, it's, it's all about trust. So I said, I'm going to spend 200 bucks on stuff. I'm going to bring it to his house. And if uh, I come back in a few times and the stuff is still there, then uh, he's trustworthy, you know, then we can, then we can keep this relationship going. Yeah. It's all about building trust, right? And then going from there. But I mean, somebody had to do that first. Somebody had to say, listen, I'm going to do what I'm going to do what I have to take. And like, even when uh, my buddy was doing meetings, like he'd do the meetings at his house. Like that's like, you know, you, you, you have to be, uh, you have to be dedicated. He knew everybody beforehand. He made sure things were safe, but uh, it, you still have to be dedicated to do stuff like that. Yeah, so what about, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Eric. I was going to say, you want to uh, talk about uh, food stocks? Yeah. Um, sorry, can you guys just help me find where I am? Oh, no worries. Actually, uh, you mentioned the fact that your family, like you love them to death, but uh, sometimes they don't have enough resources to cover themselves. Yeah, that's it. Like even, uh, even like, uh, my parents and my brothers and my and my my uh my immediate family even though like they live close they don't have water storage they don't have food storage they have as much as anybody probably a bit more because we're up north like especially my mom she lives three kilometers away from me now 
So she's actually gathering up a lot more food now because she finds it's harder to go into town like all the time. But uh, before that, you know, she'd go like a few times a week. It wouldn't matter, you know. So it's like it's it's important to if you're going to be in a mag and you're going to be serious, you got to have a cash at that person's house. Don't be. Don't be the problem. And uh, in in a regular scenario, like my buddy, he's not going to feed me off my stocks. He's going to feed me like whatever food they're eating. They're just going to make extra that night and I'm going to get some. Right. But if it's if it's a real emergency, I need to do my part. And uh, that's what a lot of people just don't get. Like, oh, well, if something happens, like, well, what do you mean? Right. And it's like, there's a. Uh, uh, okay. I think the main, uh, the main point you're getting to there is at all your different oh, okay. I, I locations, you. you want to make sure everybody's kind of contributing the, to your stocks. Right. And, everybody's got something to, to provide and, and some sort of resource to give back to the group. So everyone's carrying yeah, their own like, weight, right? Yeah. And like uh, one of the main things I wanted to say was we can pool resources. Let's say all four of us get together, make a mag, right? Well, a ton of grain last I checked was about 250 bucks. Okay. But it's a stupid amount of work to put that all into mylar bags. And where are you gonna store it? Not everybody has a hundred acres like me to put all that food, you know? So it's like, we could get together, bag it, do the work, get it done. And guess what? We're good for 35 years. A lot of grain. It is. Just, <laughs> I'm just thinking I mean, about like, the number of grain elevators that are near that are near my house right now. That's, uh, that's a lot of grain. That's, uh, that's something to think about. Like if we know it's only going to be a few months, like I could supply my whole village. We could, we could really help a lot of people and get a lot of people into prepping down the road. Sure. And like being close to a small village is important. If you're going to do things like that, like for like defense, like you don't want to be far enough away that things like Venezuela are going to start happening to you, like in the, in the jungle or whatever, or Argentina, there was a story. Uh, <laughs> You want to be close to a village where you get the protection from the village. And like the way it works, like it works out well. Like I have a village right before my house and uh, there's an hour and 20 minutes of woods the other way. Well, so it's like they have to go through the village to get to my house. So the village is going to, is going to protect me whether, whether they want to or not. Well, the other thing too, is that even in the wild, wild west, I mean, uh, the most remote farms still to come into the village to get basic supplies that they couldn't make themselves and trade, barter, sell whatever items they were able to produce. So, I mean, yeah, you need to have a, a, a population center, even if it's a small one nearby to help out, right? Absolutely. Interesting, like you made a good point there, actually, later on the, the show notes here about, uh, you know, some people think they can recruit people they need after an event. Uh, you want to touch on that at all? Yeah, uh, exactly. So, so that really gets to me is that some, some, some preppers go around saying, I'll, re I'll recruit those I need after an event. Uh, you'll have to take care of them off of your preps. Those people are going to come with nothing. And, and uh, you don't like the government giving, giving out your tax money in welfare checks. Uh, you're going to be the welfare check, you know? 
you need where I live, you need eight months of food to even hope to survive the next growing cycle. And nobody can grow 100% of their food. So it's critical to have food storage for as long as possible. You need an, an immense garden and 20 years of experience to even hope to grow enough calories, unless you have a large group to help you. Uh, things are hard to grow here. You need enough crops. You need, you need to protect crops from freezing. And I'm talking about the first few months, it's every night. Unless you have like a specialized tarp that you can leave on even during the day, which I'm looking into getting those now. But that's a lot of money and you better have that beforehand because it's uh, it's the last tarp I, I ordered like that came in a uh, in a actual semi truck from a drill. And that's just so, uh, to keep it from freezing, you mean? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a special uh, tarp. So uh, um, you take it off when it rains. So so more water can can like get to your get to your veggies, but it it uh, protects frost because even if you put a tarp on top of your on top of your ceilings, if it's touching the the plant, the plant will freeze anyways. And that was the problem we were having uh, last year. So I have to continue with uh, with this year. I want to have a full complete lot, like have maybe because I have twenty six hundred feet. Of, uh, of a garden space in a raised beds. So uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty intense, but the fact is, is that I need about four times as much space to grow what you folks do down south. Well, plus even more so if you had other people with you as well, right? Yeah, and it's like, now I'm, I'm, I'm actually uh, coming up with, uh, with, uh, with uh, different ways of, uh, of taking less work to do the same thing in that, but the raised beds are great because they actually uh, defrost before the ground does. So it, it allows you to start a little bit faster. Hmm. So, yeah. And, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was just saying like, uh, you need an immense garden, uh, and, uh, and 20 years of experience to even, even, even to hope to have enough calories. Right. And, uh, your seeds, just because you save seeds from last year does not mean that will work this year. You need backups upon backups. Like honestly, like three years of seeds and having two of them and, and having them mylard wouldn't be too much just in case. Well, yeah, especially with seed loss, I think you lose about 10% of the viability per year, but uh, yeah, it's where the mags would come in. I guess they would provide you with some extra backup seeds from other people as well. Right? Yeah. It's like, how are you, how is one guy, um, supposed to, or one family supposed to buy uh, three times of everything and be backed up, like, unless you're, like, a millionaire, you know? Yeah. You need the extra people to help you out. You need those extra hands. Like, me, like, I have fence sitting in my side yard because I don't have a tractor. I can't afford a tractor right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't have, like... I got hurt. I ripped out my a tendon in my arm last year. I managed to do the forty, uh, the forty-two uh, garden beds, anyways, in the middle, even with my ripped out tendon in a cast. But uh, it's funny because my dad gave me a two-wheeled uh, wheelbarrow, and that's what enabled me because I'm a strong guy, so I can lift up the wheelbarrow, anyways. But I couldn't keep it steady. But with a two-wheeled wheelbarrow, I was able to do that. 
cool. Well, we'll have to move on to the defense. I think probably with a different part of the uh, the next mag episode, but we got to cover off some uh, uh, email uh, review or listener feedback from a couple episodes ago on this stuff. So, Eric, I think you had some stuff to cover there too, right? Yeah. So we've got uh, some stuff inspired by uh, listener Raphael. Uh, so we covered off an email from him an episode or so ago. Uh, so it feels that uh, most preppers believe in the lone wolf fantasy. Uh, that their prep skills, guns, and gear will uh, be enough to get things going on the long run. Uh, that may be fine for that may be fine for a short-term hiccup, but uh, a longer-term crisis, uh, just a few weeks long under stressful circumstances. If you're alone or supporting a small family, then your situation will deteriorate, and it will deteriorate fast. Uh, exhaustion, fatigue, frustration will cause critical mistakes, uh, bad judgment, and poor decisions. Uh, the only situation is, uh, or the only solution, sorry, is a local uh, mutual assistance group or a mag that we've been talking about. Uh, mags are much more important than stocking months of food and water and having gear and guns. Uh, if a serious long-term scenario is considered, uh, the problem is, at least in Canada, mags aren't even talked about. Uh, to me, a mag, uh, there, there's a mag gap. Uh, the worst single point of failure in any prepping plan, uh, and you would appreciate a discussion on the topic. So we've. We got this I just, want to, I just yeah. want to know who this Raphael guy is, and I want him to get in contact. Yeah, exactly. I want to know where he is. Well, I don't want to give away too much uh, offsite on his part, but actually, it was, it was an email back and forth with him quite a bit, and hopefully, we're going to meet up next month. Um, he's actually uh, Western Canada, and he was actually open to come on tonight, but unfortunately, we couldn't make the scheduling work as well. So, it's uh, he was going to hopefully answer some of his own questions on here, but that didn't work out so well. But, uh, anyways. We'll have him on sooner or later. Uh, but questions for this episode uh, he wanted to get covered off uh, in the last half here is, why is having a mag important? Which I think we covered off part of it. I, but I Eric, think we covered that well, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Eric, you just uh, you had a couple lines there you want to throw on? Yeah, sure. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, like in the same thing. It's, it's not all about uh, in, in emergencies. It's about good times, too. So uh, saving money and more purchasing power you don't need as many backups if other if they have those expensive items. But not only that, like uh, I have a, a trapping camp, so you guys don't have to don't have to have a trapping camp. My trapping camp has a beach, so it's like bring your kids, have fun, let's go fishing. The fishing's great, and uh, oh yeah, we can go hunting for moose. We can do, do lots of stuff, you know. I'm so glad you came on the show tonight. I really am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think I can't remember who wrote the, the show notes here, but uh, I'll just, I'll, you know, shamelessly steal them. So yeah, human be beings, they get get hurt, <laughs> they get sick, die and need to recuperate, or maybe not in that order, but uh, mags create redundancy, much like the rule of three, and make us ready to handle life's challenges, and we uh, can feed off each other's strengths. So uh, the advantages of... Choose one, one is none. That's right. So the advantages yeah. of mag, Eric uh, covered off the advantages as well, but uh, yeah, the differing skills can bring resilience and advance the group and make it, I guess, more complete. That's for sure. And uh, like, what I want, what I want to emphasize, because a lot of people like say, "Well, I can't be in a mag with you because you're too far away." But it's like my in good times, I want to have a garden at your house because uh, you're farther south. And in bad times, you want to be able to come to my house because uh, you're five hours away from, from the United States and uh, they know we don't have guns here. Or not as many as them anyways. <laughs> they think we don't have guns here. Don't give away our secrets. Let's yeah. keep believing that. 
the reality is, is uh, every, everybody up here is a moose hunter and uh, 800 meters away is not a problem. <laughs> and actually, interestingly enough, from a nutritional perspective, uh, as far as wild meats go, moose is actually the most nutritionally complete meat out there. It's also so delicious. Oh, it is so good. Let's talk about the structure of the map. What kind of what kind of structure should we be should we be looking for? I'm a big fan of committee, where you know everybody everybody gets an input and everybody has their own specialties, but we all work together towards a common goal. What do you guys think about that? Well, yeah. also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, geez, I don't want to quote Stalin here at this point, but he ever said, he said nothing ever got solved by committee. But no, <laughs> actually, in this case, it would actually probably have, much have, a, have a solid basis, especially like, what's the point of having a guy in charge of medical committee if he knows nothing about first aid or medical treatments? And uh, so, yeah, you can be the leader, but if you're completely unqualified to lead, it doesn't help. So on a smaller group like this, I think if you had it just agreed to who is responsible for each division of the the whole mutual assistance group that's certainly how an effective group would probably work i think uh, maybe having a um uh people have delegates or whatever below them but yeah you'd have to have a head of each each kind of section more than anything else and i just want to i just want to emphasize because uh a lot of this this exact topic here the structure is where you lose a lot of mag members and uh just because you want it a certain way doesn't mean it has to be that way. Like if you're willing to negotiate, you have a lot better chance of forming a mag. If you say it will be like this, I said, uh, no, I'm not your slave and this isn't going to work out. Yeah, You're not the boss and I'm not the peasant because it's your house or whatever. It's just um, everything. I kind of think it has to be done by committee too and everybody votes and like... Um, put the families first, but be willing to negotiate, be willing to do what's, and maybe they have an idea that's a lot better than yours, you know? So you don't want to lose key members over, over specifics. And I'm telling you with a mag, if you have, uh, let's say you have, uh, four people that uh, do a construction, be happy to have those four people. Because I guarantee you, it took me 10 years to find one guy and have a possibility of, 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 a, of a two more. And like, I'm a pretty dedicated guy. So if you yeah. find, don't go looking for skills like, like what they say in the States there, because it's, it's, it's very hard. Well, it's, it's absolutely true. Because I think unless you're a team player, it's never going to work out no matter how, how hard you look, right? Uh, but as far as uh, joining the MEG as well, I mean, I think Alan touched on it before. Make sure you're cross qualified because everybody should at least have one other job other than their main one under their belt. So the ability to do something other than helicopter repair. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, by the way. I mean, because yeah, that's great if you're like, uh, you know, a, a full on tactical guru. But, uh, you know, if there's no bad guys for, you know, 100 miles in any direction, well, then maybe you should be better off being a cook or like full Steven Seagal, be a cook on the side or something, you know? You could be a tactical cook. It could be a tactical cook. Well, and I think you know there there are basic there are basic skills that every that everyone should have. Right? If you're if you're in the military, you're on you're a firefighter, you're a police officer. You have your first like your basic level of responsibility. If you're a, if you are a, a radio tech in the in the army, 
it's good that you can manage those electronics, but you're still doing that with a C7 on your shoulder and you are a soldier before all else. Um, so I think it's, it's important that we set up the baseline skills. Everybody needs to have these basic things. Everybody should be able to cook food to a point where nobody's going to die. Everybody should be able to purify water to a point where we're where we can drink it, but you do be able to do basic first aid, whatever it is, but make sure you agree to all of those things. But I think it's really important that everybody have those basic skills. And that's probably a, an important aspect of a mag too, is, is mutual training. So it's great for me to say that I have, you know, 10,000 hours of experience in this one thing. Um, but if I, it's even better for me to say, I'm going to share my 10,000 hours of experience with you, which not only builds that trust, but it also makes us it brings us closer together and makes each of us more useful as a as a group. Yeah, for sure, and that's great. Like if you're if 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 you're gonna like uh, emphasize on that and do that down the road, but just at the beginning, take 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 what you can get as long as it's a good person, a, a solid person with a, with a good morals and good values, and uh, and just work with them to to make them better and make them who they are. Like I'm. I'm a wannabe gardening guy. I'm pretty good with a chainsaw. Uh, a lot of what's good about me is where I live and uh, and and my and my situation. A lot of what's bad about me is where I am and where I live. <laughs> so it, it, it depends what it is. Hundred acres, but it's a hundred really remote acres across a really big pinpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like if things. If it's hunting season, my place is pretty cool. If it's fishing season, my place is pretty cool. But if we want to get together every weekend, my place is pretty far. Yep. But uh, you know, it, it it's it's good to have a little bit of everything. Like what I was saying, like maybe your place is good for gardening. Maybe Eric's place is good for is is good for meetups. And uh, you know, and uh, maybe when we when when we want to go out to uh, Cabela's and buy some gear, maybe Ian's place is is the best yeah. place to be. No, I mean, I guess we're, we're going to move on to the crux of this whole episode here is the hardest question to answer, how to find a mag. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm pretty experienced in this, and I've pretty much, I think I've tried pretty much everything there is to try. And like I said, like, I live in the boons. I live 10 hours away from eight and 10 hours away from, from the major uh, metropolitans in, uh, in, uh, in uh, central Canada. So it's like, I really have to fight to meet people in that. And like doing eight, eight, 10 hour trips is normal for me to meet people. And it's like, that's what I have to do. And I'm willing to do it. Yeah. So it's like, um, so online is, is where I meet people. Cause like, I wouldn't want to be, uh, you don't want to let too many people local know that you're the one with all the preps and you're the one they have to go see if uh, things go south, you know? And then they all come knocking on your door and looking for their welfare check. Wait, with, with torches and pitchforks, yeah. 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 First, first they come with open like, hands, uh, they come with, with weapon hands, yeah. yeah. So a lot of sites have, have uh, come and gone, but uh, right now my main ones are the International Preppers Network. And uh, they do all of the different countries, but in Canada, uh, that's where most of the preppers meet up. And uh, Facebook is pretty popular. I know not. I know everyone's not into that, but um, it's pretty good. And uh, my buddy, uh, he's on Instagram, and there's actually quite a few uh, preppers on there too. 
I'm not on there yet, but I should be on there. <laughs> Instagram's uh, not a spot I would have thought of. Yeah, like yeah I, so, I tried to avoid social media like the plague, ironically enough, other than this. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've never even thought of Instagram before. I mean, I'm certainly not on Facebook, but uh, I'm on IPN as well. Yeah, and I have to admit, uh, IPN has a lot of has a lot of great people. Um, it's a lot slower than it was at the at the beginning, but uh, it's 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 everybody's job to keep up these sites and to and to mutually like the reason why I post like I have uh, my name's Protector on there, and you can look up my uh, and that's if you want to get in contact with me, that's that's where you go. It's um I forget exactly what the name of the quote is, but it's like it's it's a protectors uh, uh projects and it's and it has pictures and I basically post like what we have been doing to uh, to become more like more like prepared and I'm trying to encourage people to say like hey this is a great guy he works hard he's ready maybe he can be part of our team and help us out. And the fact that he's far away could help us out because there's a lot of uh, there's meetups, there's meetup groups, in, especially in Toronto area, uh, KW and stuff like that. And I know the ones from Toronto with Che and all those guys from the from the zombie camp there. Those guys there, they're all like in like Toronto. But uh, that's good for the people in like in like in like Toronto and a lot of those people they think that we're like too far they want to be an hour or two away but if there's a major event fact is is that people are going to want to leave Toronto pretty quick and uh their cars are they're all going to get stuck around Barrie and then you probably have about a hundred thousand people running around Barrie with no place to go and it's well, like I was saying before that's not like a great so, place and you don't want to be with an hour within an hour of Toronto if anything goes south anyway so no exactly. certainly not honestly if if it's if it's if it really is a Tedawaki scenario, um, you want to be eight ten hours away. I really I really have to emphasize that because, uh, do you think what's going to happen in these in these in these uh, prisons? Do you think they're they're not going to let those people go? Somebody's going to have a heart and let and let those people go, and that guy's going to laugh and he's going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, shorter points as you can make it. Uh, what's the essential to the creation of a successful mag? Anybody want to throw in some points? Well, I think first is really clearly defining the goals, really defining the roles, and then and, and the expectations. And once you once you've got that down, then making sure that everybody has the same has the same opinion. I think that would be the probably the first successful or the first step in a successful group. Yeah. And having yeah. flexibility and adaptability as well is huge in, in organizing a small group or a large group. Uh, being flexible, being adaptable is something you're going to have to do, especially if you're going to be the leader of said group or, or guiding the group along. You got to be able to, to go with the flow. Totally. I think uh, my short points would be trust, familiarity, and compatible goals. Yeah, for me, yeah. it's a, it's a dedication, time, sacrifice, and heart. All right. So, questions. I don't know what happened to the, the font of these questions, but let me just... Uh... Well, I shrunk some of them down. Uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. You want, you want to cover like cover the next episode, or you want to just finish them off quickly? Uh, we can we can hammer through a couple of them here, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, some uh, pointed questions he had for us right off the bat. Uh, I guess you want to start off, Eric? Uh, sure. So, um, one of the questions here is, how long do you think you and your family would be just fine when exposed to a prolonged disaster scenario? 
So that's a, that's a great question just to ask yourself when you're starting to get your mag together is how long do you think you're going to be just fine in, in quotes? Well, just, just fine as a matter of speaking, but I mean, we did some hard thinking about this and uh, to answer this question specifically, we've, you know, we, no problems at all three months for us. Then after that, we'd start having some issues, whether it be animal feeding concerns, uh, which may to lead to cannibalizing some of the current stock or the, or the flock. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, the alpacas briefly before, but we've, we've already got a, a contingency plan of which one has to go first, which is dark, but one of those conversations you want to have. Anyways, just in case you run out of uh, forage for them or anything else. And then... Um, we also discussed the fact that, you know, smaller numbers in the chicken flock or something would offset the feed needs. And uh, so a solid three months and we're good to go. I suppose it depends on the disaster too. If it's something where I can stay home, then I have, you know, I have one kind of one stream of, you know, three, three months, depending on who shows up. And then if, um, if I have to go somewhere, then things, then things change a little bit because I'm limited by how much I can carry with me. So I think that's yeah. another factor as well, which is which comes back to the point of having a cache at a designated location, and where do I where do I go from here so that I don't have to carry everything with me, and hopefully the uh, hopefully that that cache is available when I get there. Yeah, if uh, if anybody thinking they're going to do the lone wolf thing, please watch the road, and uh, imagine <laughs> your family with you. Just do it, man. You'll you won't you won't regret it. And you'll never think of doing that lone wolf thing again. <laughs> uh, so another question he's got in here is, uh, what if the scenario included civil unrest and a lack of supplies? And then uh, think American blackout. Well, actually, it was interesting. That American blackout is a kind of a somewhat underrated thing, except for the ending, which is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, yep. <laughs> so if you had a civil unrest, lack of supplies, uh, I guess one of the first things you have to do is is think about hardening the outside of the house, meaning like trying to keep the people that didn't have anything from coming in and just taking yours. So whether it be discovering windows, posting guards, even doing active patrols, I think uh, you'd have to start thinking about that pretty seriously. Absolutely. I would say reverse that order make sure that you've got your priorities straight i mean we can you know we can we can do the do the uh um the will smith thing from i am legend where you know you pre-build you know singe hardened steel covers around your house but until you have that every piece of glass every window even i mean even the front of your house it doesn't take much to drive a truck through drive a truck through the front of a through the front of a building so um don't don't put too much stock in the fact that you've got a wall protecting you. Oh, absolutely. I think by the time they're at your front doorstep, it's probably too late. So the active patrol, like yeah. you said, probably should go first. And just to make sure you've got a, an idea of what's going on in the neighborhood, even if there's like a, a roving gang working house to house and they're six houses away, it's nice to know. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's one of those, uh, um, one of those scenarios where, uh, you know, all my years in the security industry, I still maintain that the best security that you can have is uh, is a nosy neighbor who's home during the day. Um, people, who, people who know what's going on, people who know what's out of place and um, being able to rely on them for information and being able to just go over and, you know, knock on uh, on Marge across the street's door and take her a basket of muffins and say, Marge, what's, uh, what are you, what are you seeing? What's, what's the, what's the word on the street? Uh, I think that's going to tell you a whole lot more than, you know, putting on all of our all of our camo and our plate carriers and walking around with loaded rifles is ever going to tell us. And you probably shouldn't go visit Marge while you're wearing all that. No, definitely not. No. 
Hi, I, Marge, I just, love you. <laughs> I actually just thought of uh, something uh, a bunch of guys were talking about on, on IPN about this specific topic. And uh, I really like the idea of you can't defend the home. So the best thing you can do is give it up. Run away. And Which then... And then that was very interesting because actually I was watching another uh, preparedness guy, uh, Bear Independent. He's a really interesting cat. And uh, so he was, he's down there mentioning, he said, yeah, you can go ahead. If you guys got a big group of people coming towards my house, I'll just come out the back door and I'll, I'll leave you to her. He says, but I know these trails behind my house, like the back of my hand. I've got night vision. I'll go to bed. I'll wake up at three in the morning. I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. And then the reverse, right? And then that's like, that's like the typical prepper thing of not keeping all your food in the same place. So even if they run off with the month of food you have in your pantry upstairs, uh, they don't, they, they don't get the stuff in the woods. They don't get the stuff at your buddy's house and uh, they don't get the stuff uh, buried in the hay bales or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Another question he's got here is uh, how long would it take you to leave your lone wolf home base and seek assistance elsewhere? Well, again, that depends on the situation, right? I mean, uh, if there's a flood coming into your house, I'd say you're going to leave immediately, no matter how many preps you have. Um, if it's Venezuelan-style slow economic burn, I mean, you might wait it out for years until uh, until there's just no choice but to leave, right? Exactly. Yeah. And no choice but to leave is also is also kind of a broad spectrum. I mean, no choice but to leave could be the. Um, could be that the uh, the communists have come and they've and, the, and they've showed up on the on the doorstep and they've said this is now our property, or it could be that um, there's simply no more access to supplies. I can't forage, hunt, or prepare or or gather anything else from here. I have to go, and so again, that could be that could be days, weeks, months, years, and that's individual to every setting. Yeah. So. I um, I just wanted to say about my location because I'm I'm like a pretty rare situation. Like we paid twenty five thousand dollars for our house, came with the house, the double garage, and the hundred acres. Like it's an older house, but uh, lots of work to do. New, I needed a new roof, and I have to redo the outside and the windows and all that. And even the inside isn't that great. But you know what? It's it's great for a family, and we're fixing it up bit by bit. We got the metal roof now, so we can get the the water retention off the roof for the garden. And uh, but. Well, and so, you're mortgage-free, right? Yeah, so a, we we were mortgage-free, and we had to remortgage, but now we're actually we're actually going to be paid off in uh, four years again, and it's a lot easier to give uh, five hundred bucks for four years than yeah. to be paying what you guys are paying down south, you know. Yeah. But uh, even even our taxes are a thousand bucks a year, so. Even if I had no job, I could sell a hundred a thousand bucks worth of firewood in the back and uh live here and grow my garden and like i don't have quite the experience now to get 100 percent of my food but i could probably figure it out doing odd jobs in that which is great until you throw the appropriation act into the into the mix but where you are that's a pretty it's that the chances of that are pretty slim um there's expert like the, the government expropriating property is a pretty rare thing um and they usually compensate you pretty well if it does have to happen but um when you're in a remote setting like that the chances of the government to saying this is our property now is is pretty slim uh that's where you get into get into those major urban centers where they say you know this you know we we need this we need this property for uh you know for whatever we need to, we need to 
critiquing it, and you have half an hour to get all your stuff and get out. Yeah, that that pisses me off when they uh, when they do that. What they think is better for the world, and it's like, no, my this this land has been in my family for a long time. Well, hopefully, we don't get to that point anytime soon. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, I'll jump. But if it does, that would certainly be a reason to leave. <laughs> I'll jump down the list here. There's another question. Uh, what is the influence of Hollywood in the self-image that preppers have, and how do they measure their own abilities to survive on their own? I would say it's been destructive at best. <laughs> so, <laughs> at best. so yeah. yeah. So at uh, the old movie Tremors, uh, with the big earthworms that were going through the ground there and then picking up all the the, the people. So they, I think, that was the first time I think I ever saw a. a you know, a bona fide prepper in the movie that his name is Bert Gummer and he's been memed about a thousand times now. So I think he was the first popular foray into the prepper genre, but they made him intentionally clownish. Like he had cannon fuse for his cannon and he, you know, he's like, I'm actually out of ammo. This has never happened before. <laughs> and, and so it, it basically hasn't really helped much with the stigma attached to it. So like as soon as somebody mentions like down the stage, they talk about a militia. Well, that brings up a whole stereotype, which by the way is illegal to say the word militia in Canada. You're not allowed to have militias, just, just so everybody's aware of that. So you, you can have mutual assistance groups, you can have uh, shooting clubs, you can have whatever, but if you ever say the word militia, you're going to get a visit. So um, anyway, uh, also like you look at movies, they're more modern like John Wick. I mean, definitely not real, no matter how cool. And uh, but even he needed help from his mag, so he had the hotel to help him out. He had tailors, he had weapons purveyors, he had guys that did medical assistance, hold on to prisoners for him. He had everything. And then uh, even Liam Neeson and Taken had basically a police chief that he knew from the old days that was helping him out. He had uh, contacts from his old jobs. He had weapons from his current job, and of course he had uh, all sorts of other help as well. But I mean, really taking five guys on in a room without calling for backup? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and he think he is Chuck Norris? <laughs> yeah, so, but he did use Krav Maga, which was kind of cool. So I, I was like, hey, look at that. So uh, just some good points to take away from those silly movies, though, is that gold was used as currency in all those movies. They all depended on caches. Even Burt Gummer had his basement full of weapons. Um, and self-defense self -defense was always a good portable and sometimes uh, unbannable thing you can carry with you, I guess, if you look at it that way. Good point. Cool. So... Uh, for me, uh, I just said that, uh, you know, like I was saying, lights out one second after and the road are pretty realistic scenarios. The, the road especially got got me into uh, prepping. It's like I'm I'm a pretty big family guy and I just imagined the four kids on my back. I was like, that's not going to happen. And uh, on top of that, we have like four feet of snow here, like uh, six, eight months a year. So it's like that's not going to happen and uh, losing fingers and toes and freezing to death would uh, come pretty quickly <laughs> actually did you uh, guys know where the road was filmed no i feel like you're going to tell us yes it was filmed at the uh, base of mount st helens and so it was actually like uh they didn't really specify what the disaster was in that movie but it was interesting they used like uh, a volcanic ash covered burnt forest from mount st helens that was like 20 years old to mm -hmm. uh, specify what the world would look like post-apocalypse Huh. Yeah, well, there Very you go. Cool. I mean, you think, and you, the other, you know, you can get even in the in the zombie movies, which um, are again nowhere near realistic, but they're fun to they're fun to think about, and um, that's where I would uh, I'd head up to, to Eric's place because the colder the colder the better. Um, <laughs> but I know I, I think I think the the consensus here is correct that it that the idea of have the idea of of 
Hollywood and being prepared for the worst case. I mean, even as simple as doomsday preppers on TV, what an awful show to depict reality, right? We, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong. There's a, it's a really good idea to be prepared, but having a, a 17 year supply of hand sanitizer isn't, isn't, what being prepared really is. So I don't think it does. I, th- I certainly don't think it does us any favors. And I think it, it sets some really unrealistic expectations about who we are, what we do, why we do it. And not, not only within, not only within the prepper community, right? There, there are, you know, there are, there are preppers out there who firmly believe that tremors is going to happen. And all we have to do is just wait for the right time. Um, so I think it's set unrealistic expectations for us as well as for the people looking in from the outside going, what a bunch of wackos. Well, see, yeah, that's you- why, one of the reasons I bought my house that was on solid bedrock is to make sure those predatory earthworms couldn't come up and get me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, an earthquake proof. Yeah. <laughs> or not. I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> but like, what happens if uh, you die? you died today? And your wife's like in a major depression. You still need somebody to help bring your kids to like to like activities and make and make life go on. A mag is for stuff like that too. No, Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and that's it. And and that's what people don't get. Oh well, if something happens, I'll figure it out. Figure it out now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's actually a good good wrap up statement right there for sure. Absolutely. I, I agree. We'll uh, move into the podcast challenge. All right, so for the podcast challenge, I guess it's pretty simple to this week. It's just put yourself out there. So make it a goal to at least make online contact with at least one new prepper within an hour's drive of where you are. So a good place to start is the International Preppers Network. It's been mentioned before in the podcast here. That's www.internationalpreppersnetwork.net. And uh, there's a Canadian-specific section. It even breaks it down by province, if it'll help you for it. Something to keep in mind, though, it is not Tinder for preppers. So don't go in there just hoping to make a, a quick meetup, and that's that. It's just uh, it's a good initial contact for serious-minded people. Yes, pretty much everybody on that forum is very serious about uh, the prepper community and the topics. Lots and lots of great knowledge as well. So it's a good spot to uh, to reach out and uh, and see if you can make contact with somebody. And yeah, I suppose that's I can't agree more. To, to test the challenges, find anybody that's that was part of this podcast on that network, and then report in that this is this is where you are and why you did it. And uh, that'll be our that'll be our podcast shadow for next week. Yeah, I think we're all on the forum, right? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I'm there. Alan, are you on there? No, not yet. Ah, okay. All right. Well, yes. Or maybe I am, and I just haven't just and I just haven't revealed myself. We'll see. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so the guy with the beard is still on there. You're not. Yeah, yet. that's exactly it. This is my alter ego. <laughs> You're the real Alan. Please stand up. <laughs> all right we'll get into episode closing so uh, upcoming events uh, we've still got the annual preppers meet coming up in desborough uh july 11th to 14th you can check out uh, annualpreppersmeet.com uh great meet to get out to it's uh it's a, good, a couple of good days of uh, some training some events uh great knowledgeable instructors uh, cover off all kinds of topics uh so so check it out again uh, july 11th to 14th uh, annual preppers meet in desborough uh, ontario all right, I got the first annual Western Canada Hot Springs meet, uh, May 25th, 26th at Slowcut Hot Springs. Uh, we're doing camp craft discussion to meet up for like-minded people, and it's a bit of an adventure to get there. So I put some uh, 
tips and tricks on how to get there in the show notes as well. Also, uh, just for the first time, we should mention this. Uh, save the date if you're interested. Uh, July 6th is going to be a podcaster charity shoot. You do not have to be a podcaster to join us. It'll be in Drumheller, Alberta. Uh, more details to come on what's going to happen as far as actual shooting events, but uh, all are welcome. Uh, planned events include a maple seed course, which is put on by Kelly Lynn from the uh, uh, CCFR. Uh, and Slam Fire Radio, another podcaster. Um, it's basically a 22 Barksmanship course. There's a fun competition going to be with the podcaster charity shoot itself and a chance to take a nationally famous Furlachi pistol course, which is a bit of an ongoing thing with a couple of other podcasters. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. All right, and some shout outs. Uh, Alan? Uh, I completely forget about this section. I, I get down to about page 16 on this stuff and I stop reading. So uh, <laughs> consistently forget the shout outs. Uh, I promise I'll do something for next time. I'm, I'm still waiting to hear from a Sasquatch uh, research scientist. Uh, I figured I'd keep the shout out line open in case he's trying to contact us. Well, I got a shout out. I got a shout out for your mama. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so his name is uh, your mama from uh, CGN, Canadian Gun Nuts. Uh, he helped me out with a hard-to-find part. He handmade it himself and sent it to me free of charge. So uh, wow. shout out to him. That's pretty cool. Nice yeah. job. So I'd like to to thank you guys for for your hard work on these shows. Uh, they really helped me out getting home uh, alive. <laughs> and then uh, I want to thank my mag buddy for working very hard to meet new preppers. Uh, his his. His hard work brought us together. I went to one of his meets and we met and we're like, we both wanted it so bad. It's like, we just, we just came together, you know? Uh, so I want to thank in advance those that listen to this and actually find other preppers, especially the ones that are 10, 12 hours away. Like me, uh, we can help uh, make each other's lives so much better. Awesome. Let's move into uh, some email and iTunes reviews. So, I've got one email since the last episode, so I'll read it out here, and then uh, there's some points along the way that uh, we can make some comments on. Uh, so it says, hello, great podcast. I find myself on pins and needles every week waiting for the podcast to appear in my episodes list. Uh, I have a couple of questions about food and uh, So I recently was uh, binge-watching Doomsday Preppers. Uh, don't know about that one. <laughs> it's a show on Netflix, and... Uh, a common theme on the show is water and food preparedness. Okay, that's that's good. Uh, one of the contestants, or lack thereof, for a better word, all right, uh, had MREs that were well past their ex expiration date. Uh, I then got to thinking about my emergency rations. I learned how to decode the expiration date on my MREs and was alarmed to see that when I bought these MREs from a Canadian business four years ago, they were already expired. Uh, so being the enterprising individual that I am, I opened up the case to see if they were any good. Guess what? The cases are supposed to have 12 MREs in them. Uh, the very first case I opened only had nine full meals and four partial meals. So that's a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, <laughs> so I doubt that did not come from Rapid Survival. Uh, <laughs> Just to clarify. Just to clarify. Uh, long story short, the MREs I have on hand appear to be stable and still okay in quotes. Uh, but I need to replenish my supply with new MREs that are not expired and uh, expand my food storage a bit. I also don't want to go to the same retailer, and I'm thinking I should branch out a bit. I know of a good retailer if you want to contact me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> currently, we try to keep enough food in the house uh, that we can go a month without shopping other than milk, bread, and other perishables. Makes sense. 
Uh, it's a habit uh, we have as a family. Uh, we got into uh, when work and paychecks uh, weren't always regular. Uh, I decided about five years ago that it would be wise to top, uh, top that up with 30 days worth of food for the family in MRE form. Uh, I still believe that the MREs uh, have a place in my food storage scheme, uh, but I'm thinking a, another 30 to 60 days of food uh, for a basic family of four would be a good idea. Uh, where I want to be is 30 days of food in the pantry, used and replenished every month, uh, 30 days of MREs replaced every five years, and 30 to 60 days of shelf-stable food items uh, with a long shelf life, uh, decades preferably. And uh, now on with my actual questions for the show. I just wanted to say oh, that... Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, uh, um, when I went, when I first met to these meetings, um, I thought, well, I was waking up and I found out, like, I had a lot of uh, boat rations, and boat rations expiry is uh, five years. I so I had boat rations. I had thirty six hundred calories in the in in the containers, but uh, there was also I also had water rations. So I was like, I have a lot of these. They're going to expire. Why not use them as uh, prepper points? So anybody that was there got uh, food, got uh, food, boat rations, and water food rations for a week. Or no, was it was it three days? Sorry. And uh, so every if if there was five people, if I had they had five of them. And uh, so it was. It's not much, but it's like. It was it was a good breaker, and it's like saying, "Listen, you're giving, and uh, you're you're uh, you're you're a good person." And I ended up getting a prepper buddy out of it, so it was totally worth it. Well, it's a good way to sample foods you might not have otherwise gotten either. That too. I would say before before you go down the MRE hole too far, um, full pun intended. Actually, try living on MREs for a couple of days. MREs are terrible. Like they are just absolutely awful. They're not intended to be good. They're intended to be fast, easy, and filling. Um, fortunately, I've never had to live on MREs for more than a couple of days. But if you do, um, you will find that they are nutritionally deficient and designed to keep those calories within you rather than create a good, healthy, uh, healthy digestive flow. So, I would say like. It's it's not a bad idea to have some on hand, especially if you're traveling. If you're, you know, 10, 12 hours from civilization, and it's not a bad idea to have some around. But I'd say don't plan on living on them until you've actually done it and you know how terrible they are and you are prepared for that. So you just stole all my thunder again. Jeez. Yeah. That's what happened because I, I have a bigger voice. I talk first. Yeah. It doesn't know. matter how bad the MREs are, the boat rations are worse. Yeah. And I, I haven't even tried them. They look so bad. Oh, they're, so they're it's awful. Like, and I was yeah. like, I have enough for like, I thought, I thought it was 21 days. It was three weeks of these for like six people. I was like, <laughs> that was a major mistake. So I started giving them away, you know, and like a lot of people put those in their cars for a long time. Now you think what the MREs were designed for is designed to put calories into soldiers and soldiers that were not allowed to complain. And basically, and if they were taking a poop, they were taking time away from trigger time. So like Alan said, no poopy bad foodie <laughs> and then from a cost perspective they're actually not very cost efficient for what no, you get too right so they're they're, actually, they're fairly pricey they're they t- they don't take up a lot of space for for very high density calories which is one of the advantages but they're just not good for you like for the average person they are they are just a really bad idea uh if you follow um the urban prepper on youtube uh, he will go 
he'll do these these 72 hour challenges he'll take these you know these energy bars meal replacement uh mres things like that and he'll actually live on them for a couple of days and describe how awful it truly is um so if you have the option just expand on what you eat anyways with the non-perishable just expand on that so that you have um what's the what's the rule of threes the rule of threes is you've got three minutes without air three days without water three weeks without food three hours without shelter three seconds without hope if my if my best option is eating this terrible food to the point where my gut wants to jump out of its body out, out of my abdomen i've been there I've, I've had that happen appendicitis is a bitch um I do not wish to live through that. Like that—that that is one of my—that is one of my end of the world scenarios that I don't want to recover from. Mm. So, I have a couple of memories, mostly in my car, just because it's again, it's an easy way to get enough calories to get home. But that has nothing to do with my food plans in my storage area at home because they're just not good. Sorry, I'm going to rant here. Yeah, I'm going to get into the first question here. So realistically, how long past the expiration date can a fella expect emery's not to make you sick? Stored in a basement, cold storage room, 55 degrees Fahrenheit, one month, one year. Even before they are expired, MREs will make you sick. I was waiting for that answer. Uh, no, I think it's like canned food. I mean, expiry dates have nothing to do with the actual... Uh, edibility of the food nutritional value might go down a bit but uh whether or not it's sick or make you sick or not is a different matter that's basically a lawyer invented number so uh this i would just look at this one i have in my hand right now it's not mre it's something else but um just because the expiry date might be approaching doesn't mean i'd be afraid to eat it so oh, exactly the, the nutrition years. might not be as good but i bought and a surplus uh, mre it sat in my car for about five years uh i opened it up i ate it um did not die did not poop for a couple of days. Did not enjoy it, um, but I didn't die. So I mean, that was that thing was probably ten years old when I actually ate it. It was a good five or six years past the expiry date. Um, the hot chocolate was not bad. The hot chocolate powder it, that was okay. I was okay with that. Kind of heard the mess that up. The, the boat <laughs> rations. I pretty much guarantee that your family will not eat them. They'd rather die. So they'll be like pretty close <laughs> yeah. to death before they'll even have one. And the MREs, I'm guessing, is pretty close. Like, just because you'll eat it and, and you're the tough guy, don't expect your wife and your kids to do that. Yeah. Fair enough. Question right, two. Question number two here. Where can I get current production MREs in Canada? Oh, oh, oh. Pick me, oh, pick me, oh. pick me. Go, go, go. <laughs> RapidSurvival.com. Oh, well, I don't carry MREs. Uh, or the, the military. He or, really or, like, carry uh, MREs. Uh, but Better. I do carry, I do carry uh, Wise Food and uh, Mountain House. There you go. But honestly, I don't think production uh, Canadian MREs, they are available. And I can't remember if it was Bryden or somebody that had them. But honestly, so, yeah. they're just not cost effective. For If you actually look at what no. you get for the amount of meals and how many people you can feed for X amount of dollars, you're way better off with something like Mountain House or Backpackers Pantry or whatever have you. Or just, you know, well-preserved, well well-prepared actual food. Canned food will stay good for a really long time in a controlled environment. Um, you know, flour and oats and rice will all stay in good condition for a really long time if you treat it properly. Um, that's a much better solution and a much more cost-effective solution. Yeah, like my wife's Asian and for the price of a case of MREs, like I saw them, they were on Costco for like a hundred bucks back then. And uh, you could buy enough rice for a year 
And you know that if you just put rice in water and you wait long enough, you can eat it cold. It's not good, but so it's, it's like it's still food. You know what I mean? Like all those all those calories will get you a lot farther than MREs ever will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a bag, a, like a, a, a 10 kilo bag of rice is 12 bucks. You can get, find them on sale for under 10 and that will keep you going a whole lot longer than the case of MREs. And they're very long. easy to carry. You know, it's yeah. not like you're, you're carrying like a hundred pounds worth of stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, so question three. It's got, uh, what about freeze dried meat pros, cons, and where to buy in Canada? So that's a, uh, that's a fun one. I actually haven't been able to find a supplier for uh, freeze dried meat anywhere. I've had lots of requests for it, and I just any anybody that does make it, like uh, Wise Food, for example, not allowed to bring it across the border. So. And uh, I did see some in Walmart in uh, the U.S. in Washington State. However, like and most of it was uh, textured vegetable vegetable product or TVP. But there's some actual meat there. It is ludicrously expensive for freeze dried stuff. And again, agriculture, like uh, is it Agriculture Canada or uh, Food Inspection Agency? CFIA, that's it. They'll uh, they'll have an issue with you at the border as well. So uh, you're best not to even bother. Um, you can actually. I don't know if we're selling stores here, but uh, I know that Costco has all of, all of that stuff. If you look at their emergency section, and they'll actually deliver it to your house. Oh, uh, nice. it's just it's it's not a small company, and it's not my. I'd rather I'd rather support a small company than a big company, but they they actually have the stuff, and. Uh, I, I bought my laundry soap off of them for a long time because it came in a five gallon bucket. So oh, it was like I, I had enough laundry soap for the year and it was like one one bucket. So there you go. Check out Costco. Uh, question number four we've got here is uh, and this one we can talk about for quite a while. What else am I missing <laughs> for uh, long term food storage? Everything. Uh, well, you haven't told us what you have. So uh, that, that's a problem. I'll, I'll give you one thing you guarantee he's missing uh, some homemade. Uh, canned butter, the shelf stable. Uh, that's that's a project uh, for him. There. I think. So, so where do you find that in Canada? Be, uh, you have to you have to make it homemade. Okay. The homemade part of it. I know back. there's like red feather and stuff, but that stuff doesn't doesn't get across the border either. Either I don't think. No, we actually made our own. So with the uh, pressure canner, you just throw it in a glass jar. You make it happen, and it looks like death for about the first three months. Then after about three months, it settles back into like looking like butter again in the in the in the thing. But we actually opened one up after about a year and a half. Perfectly fine. Very cool. I, d awesome. I didn't know you could you could do that, but it yeah, makes so sense if you put it in a can. You can can it. Yeah. So you cannot uh, you cannot do it with the water bath. It has to be the pressure canner. Ah, yeah. cool. Oh, so. I I would, you know, things like oats, beans, rice, um, tuna. I eat a lot of tuna in my normal days. Um, pasta. The food that you would like to eat and the food that would make you, the, the comfort food that you are going to enjoy when you are stuck out of your normal routine because life has gone eh, to shit, for lack of a better term. Um, keep that on hand, right? Keep, keep that stuff. Um, spices. Right, life's gonna get really, 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 really boring if all you're eating is you know rice and beans all day. But a good, a good spice cupboard will uh, will make that a little less boring. And the, and the dollar store is your friend for that one. Get a bunch of curry packets. Absolutely, um, Mr. Noodles, really, really cheap, really effective. Far better than MREs. Less bad for you. Um, and don't forget, don't forget to stock up on salt. I mean, it's probably the the biggest flavor in here. That's what going to say. And make sure make sure you've got lots of it. If you're on the ocean, you can make your own. Just saying. There you go. There you go. Desal desalination. desalination. You've got. You've got two advantages. One, you have salt. Two, you have 
Yeah. Yeah. You guys are, you guys are lucky out West, man. You grow whatever you want, go get your salt. And it's like a yeah, lot of advantages compared to the, the big winters here. All the moose in their backyard, like you do. And there's actually, there's no moose on the Island, believe it or not. <laughs> like it's actually well, a moose. Yeah. But you guys, but you guys have deer galore though. Only in town. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have moose and deer any day. Yeah, and there's actually like literally no moose on the island. It's uh, it's like never been on there. They introduced them back in the 1800s. They never lasted. That was it. So unlike Newfoundland, they didn't take off. I was gonna make a comment about the hunting episodes, but I'll just leave that be. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll combine question number five and six here together. Uh, he asks about uh, dairy-free options and gluten-free options, uh, saying that the dairy-free is not uh, not a big deal. Uh, but gluten-free, and uh, I get that question quite a bit as well, uh, is is a bigger concern for his uh, food storage. All right, so I got some shabam, Backpackers Pantry. So if you go to the uh, website, backpackerspantry, I think, .com, uh, they'll list all of them off, and they'll actually tell you which ones are gluten-free, which ones are dairy-free. It's freeze-dried and or vacuum-packed, uh, depends on which one you're buying. And they're about the same price as Mountain House, but they're actually, we've tasted them, they're really good. And my one daughter is a legit celiac, uh, not like your typical hipster wannabe celiacs, so uh, we know about the gluten-free aspect. And um, yeah, they're actually cost-wise, they're fairly reasonable. So uh, they're available at Cabela's uh, in person, and I'm trying to think of where else you can find them. But uh, I'm sure Rapid Survival one day will carry it as well. It's uh, it's definitely a popular uh, popular thing that people are asking for, and uh, certainly a concern if uh, if it's something that uh, that your body doesn't agree with, and uh, and you've got to prepare for some uh, some food shortage or something like that. Yeah, obviously you you don't want to eat something with gluten in it, right? So uh, I had a lot of requests for it, so I'm going to look into stocking it at some point in time. And those uh, Datrex uh, boat rations you were talking about, Eric, I think they're wheat based, aren't they? Um. Honestly, I'm not sure. Like that yeah. was something that I bought, and I was just happy to have it. Yeah, they're just like a basically a glorified cookie wrapped in like tin foil. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, with, yeah, with so a lot of grease and yeah, so it's basically grease and wheat, so that wouldn't be gluten free at all. No. no. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, that that would be a big problem, and I would make sure that I would look into it. And whatever you eat every day, that is that is gluten-free like if they make gluten-free uh because i know some of the ancient greens like a uh, camlet and stuff like that i think are gluten-free i would make sure i had 100 pounds of that stuff yeah all right right because it's cheap cheap easy to get and uh yeah all that stuff there i would i would bulk up on that and i would make sure that my mag had that because not everybody's into rice but if you're going if you're going to your to your bol location and uh Please try to have somebody at your at your, at your bug out location at all times. Don't show up there and find out the neighbor's already there waiting for you. You know, and, and moved in and, and is polishing your shotgun for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so look at some uh, iTunes reviews here. Uh, so we are up to seventeen ratings. We've got uh, sixteen five stars. Uh, we've still got that one little guy uh, at the fourth part. <laughs> don't worry about that little guy. Uh, don't worry about that one. Yeah, don't worry about that little guy. Uh, and review-wise, we are still last one written on March the 10th uh, by NV35S. Uh, so no new written uh, reviews either. So uh, if you got a second or two, we'd greatly appreciate you just hopping over to iTunes, uh, dropping a review in, uh, written or just throwing a star rating in there, or preferably both. Uh, whether good or bad, just lets us know uh, if we're doing all right, if we're getting the message across, if you're enjoying the show, which uh, we're getting a little bit more feedback in the email and such. So it seems like uh, people are enjoying it. But uh, if you could head over there, throw in a quick rating, we would greatly appreciate it because it helps other people find us. 
does the Podbean get get any uh, traction? Because I mean, I've I've I did a few things on uh, Podbean to help you guys out. Yeah, so Podbean, uh, yeah, we we get some reviews on there as well. And admittedly, uh, a couple episodes I mentioned I've been terrible at checking it. So uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been checking it the last couple of episodes, and there are uh, comments on there, and those certainly help uh, as well. Um, no new Podbean reviews since uh, our last episode either, though. However, and help us out, guys. It keeps us going. Absolutely. Uh, so that I'll bring uh, episode number eighteen of the uh, Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, uh, Pod, Podbean, Spotify, your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Like I said, take a few minutes and submit a review. Like I was mentioning, it helps everybody find us. Uh, you can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. On the International Preppers Network, you can find me under the username, The Island Retreat. Uh, you can also find me giving my two cents worth on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us discussing the merits of a freer society, exposing more government waste, and squirreling off to the ad tactically driven conversation. Uh, we record these shows live on YouTube. Uh, if you want to get an early peek of the shows, subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Island Retreat. Click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. It gives me an alert when we're going live, even when I'm watching it and on it. Uh, you yeah, me too. I got it. On Instagram at PPSWO, um, I find all the as, as many cool things as I can and share them out. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out and. Uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a protector on uh, IPN and uh, and the BBM chat. So. Awesome. And uh, IPN come out, come out and talk to us. Send us a message and uh, let's meet. Awesome. So uh, please check out Rapid Survival at uh, rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can get me there on the live chat, of course, while you're buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, let us know what's going good, what uh, what you don't like about the show, uh, any questions that you might have that we can discuss in the show, or if you want to be a guest, let us know. Uh, we'll certainly get you on or, uh, or discuss your email or your questions um, that you want answered. So uh, thanks for joining us. Tune in for the next episode where we're going to be discussing severe weather events. Uh, until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.